Hey everybody, it's Matt. Welcome or welcome back to the Journey Church Podcast. If you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you can automatically get our weekly episodes. And you might want to go ahead and subscribe to our Journey YouTube channel as well. You'll find messages, music, interviews, inspiring stories, and more for you all right there. Now, I hope this episode helps you take your next step in following Jesus. What is your go-to when you struggle? Because all of us have one. So what's, what's that thing that you wouldn't normally do, but when you're struggling or when life is tough, you know, it's like that thing just calls to you and you want to do it. It's the thing that you just tend to gravitate towards. And if you're not sure what I'm talking about, I will give you an example and I'll make a confession because I have one, okay? Whenever things are really stressful, really challenging, really difficult, uh, normally I eat very healthy, but in those seasons, man, sweets just call my name. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? It's like sugar. I just love it. I just love it. And I blame all of this on my grandmother because when we were growing up, we called her nanny, you know, nan granddad. So when we were growing up, I spent a lot of time in the summers and really all year long at nanny's house. And she, she would lay out a buffet of honey buns, cake, Twinkies, ice cream, and cinnamon rolls. And that was just for breakfast, guys. I'm not lying. That was breakfast. I could eat all of that I wanted to eat. And I'm telling you, you'll know when I'm stressed because you will see me trying to grab something like that for breakfast. And I, people, my wife looks at me and says, how can you eat cake for breakfast? And I'm like, oh, I can do it. I can have two pieces with some ice cream because when I'm stressed, that's exactly where I go. I, I don't know if it's psychological, you know, it's like, oh, go back to when you were at Nan's and everything was easy and fun. I don't know why I do it, but man, it calls my name. All of us have those things, don't we? And some are maybe more destructive than others, but I bet you've got a go-to whenever you're struggling. Maybe you eat too much or, you know, you start binge-watching series and you just kind of lose, you know, sight of everything else going on in the world. Or, you know, you scroll. I've seen people do this, you know. You scroll on social media, scroll, 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 and it's almost like it's mind-numbing, isn't it? But you're just trying to get away from everything, so you just scroll. Uh, Maybe it's a little more destructive because you come home and you find yourself, you're not careful, you just drink more and you should drink night after night after night or... You know, you find yourself cigarettes. It's just, oh, I got to smoke a few more. I don't know what your deal is. But all of us have something that calls our name because temptation is really, really strong when life goes wrong, isn't it? So we're in part three of the series. And if you haven't been with us, I'll catch you up. We're in part three of the series and the hits just keep on coming, which to listen to some of your stories, this could be the title of your autobiography, couldn't it? I mean, some of you are like, I know what this feels like because you're in the middle of it and it feels like you've been in the middle of it a long time. And it's so challenging, isn't it? Because when you're in these seasons, you just have so many questions. It's like, why is this happening? When is it ever going to end? I don't know. When are things going to get better? And then for those of us who are Christians, it's even worse because we we try to spiritualize it. And so then we're starting to ask, well, what's God doing, you know? And why isn't he fixing this? And I'm praying and praying. Nothing's happening, you know? And does God care about me? So you just got all these things going on. It can get so intense in the middle of these seasons, and they look different for all of us, but they feel very similar, don't they? Because when the hits keep on coming and you're caught in seasons of struggle, these are highly emotional seasons, are they not? They are highly emotional. And it's natural and it's normal to feel all those emotions. But here's the thing, here's the thing. While what you feel is real, it's not always true. I'll say that again. While what you feel is real, all the emotions are real, emotions are not always true, particularly in these seasons. And the reason they're not always true is because emotions have a way of clouding our judgment. 
They have a way of clouding our perspective. Emotions have a way of keeping us from being able to see the big picture, keeping us from remembering everything. And emotions have a way of isolating us, do they not? We tend to, you know, a lot of us we tend to withdraw. We tend to, you know, kind of step away and isolate ourselves when we're in the middle of difficult seasons. And when you put all of that together, what happens is you and I feel these emotions really, really strongly. But because we don't have clear perspective, because they cloud, you know, they're like a fog that just clouds everything around us. And because we're isolated and we're not hearing or, you know, seeing other people's point of view around us, because of all that, we have a tendency to believe every emotion we feel, while it's real, we tend to believe it's also true. It's not always true. But it's because of this danger that you and I need to realize, if we're not careful... We will make some decisions in the middle of highly emotional seasons that we will later regret. Because here's what emotions do to you and me. Emotions open the door to temptations. They do. Emotions always open the door to temptations. Now, I don't know what your specific temptations are that you face whenever you're in highly emotional situations or seasons of life. But I can tell you this, it doesn't matter whether you're somebody who follows Jesus or doesn't believe in Jesus at all or you're anywhere in between. I can tell you in general what your temptation is because it's true for all of us. It's true for me. It's true for you. All of us, when we're in highly emotional uh, seasons, here's what you're tempted to do. You are tempted to trade what you want most for what you want now. Now, I don't know what that looks like specifically, but I know all of us, when we're in these seasons, we find ourselves being tempted to give up what we want most, to just ignore it, to forget about it. To trade it for what we want now. Because you know what? What I want now has some really strong emotional appeal. Especially in seasons of difficulty. What I want now is relief. What I want now is to have it fixed. What I want now is for everything to go away. What I want now is to be able to escape. That has some really strong emotional appeal. And when I'm in the middle of difficult seasons, what I want most? Well, that doesn't seem very urgent. And it honestly doesn't seem very relevant. I mean, what I want most, I want, a, I want a marriage where we stay in love and we're happy together forever and we love each other more tomorrow than we do today. But when you're in seasons of a lot of pain and a lot of struggle, what you want now is to escape. What you want now is not to have to put the effort in to connect with your spouse. Or what I want most is this kind of life and this kind of career, this kind of deal. But what I want now is I don't want to have to put the work in and fight through this season of struggle. I just want to let go, right? I just want to figure out a way to escape it all. And if that means not doing the hard things now to prepare me for tomorrow, well, I'll just trade that. Because, again, it's like a fog that clouds our perspective. We just lose sight of what really matters most. In, in seasons of difficulty... We will choose the immediate over the ultimate, over and over and over again, unless we're aware of this temptation that's hanging out in front of us. And I don't have to tell you this because you've got your own stories, so do I, okay? We have all made this trade before, and we all know it's never a trade worth making because as life goes on, as time passes, we discover and when you make this trade, it costs you way more than you actually want to pay. So what I want to do today for the next few minutes is just talk about this question. Well, how do you avoid that? When emotions are running high, when temptation's everywhere to trade this, what, how do you avoid it? And how do you remember the bigger picture? Uh, the answer to this, uh, the secret to it, I think, is found in an experience that Jesus had 
um, in his adult life, pretty early on in his ministry, where he faced this. And I'll give you a little context behind it uh, because it'll help you understand the enormity of what he was facing. So one day Jesus shows up at the Jordan River and he asked a guy by the name of John the Baptist to baptize him. And maybe some of you are familiar with this story. John the Baptist was a really eccentric dude. And I probably should clarify, for those of you who aren't church people, um, I grew up a Baptist and they would actually tell you John was a Baptist, but he wasn't. It wasn't like John the Baptist and there's Paul the Presbyterian and, you know, Kathy the Catholic. That's not the way it was. John got this nickname because he baptized people, okay? So that's why he was called John the Baptist or John the Baptizer. And I'll explain that in a minute, what that means. But um, John was a really eccentric guy. He was actually the, the cousin of Jesus. And we don't know if they'd ever met or not met before this time, uh, but they were related. Uh, John spent his time living in the wilderness eating locusts and wild honey. He was like the first century Bear grills. Everybody get the picture? Okay, so, so he's, he's out there doing all that, and then he begins to show up on the scene publicly, and he begins to share a message. His message was simply, the kingdom of God has come, which if you read it, you're like, I don't even know what that means. But in their Jewish culture, this was significant. What John was actually saying was he began to declare to people, we have waited for centuries for the Messiah, God in human flesh, to show up. Well, it has happened. He is here. He began to declare this message, and people became curious, and they started showing up. And some began to believe what he had to say. Others were just curious about what's this all about, right? And so John did something that, had, best of our knowledge, had never been done in history before. John began when people believed and said, we think you're right, John. We think God in human flesh has actually shown up. John began baptizing them in the Jordan River. He'd take them and he'd fully immerse them under the water and he'd bring them back up. Which again, sounds really odd. But in Jewish culture, they were used to this in a sense. See, there was a, a ritual, if you will, that if you were not a Jewish person, they would call you a Gentile. If you were not a Jewish person, but you wanted to become Jewish, there were actually five different steps you had to go through to be Jewish. And one of the steps in the middle of this process was you would go and you would immerse yourself underwater and then come back up. And it was symbolic that you were washing away your old identity, your Gentileness, and you were embracing a new identity, your Jewishness. Okay, so it was kind of this symbolic ritual. Well, that had been happening for centuries, but nobody had ever seen a person baptize somebody else. Until John shows up, right? So it creates all this curiosity and all this buzz. And, and people by hundreds and eventually the thousands are all flocking to the Jordan River. And every day John would pretty much preach the same message. He would say, the kingdom of God has come. You know, the Messiah is here. Over and over, every day. He preached the exact same message, which sounds really good to me because it's hard to prep something new every week. But anyway, he would, he would do this, right? And he would go through all of this. And then... At the end, when he was done, anybody who chose to believe, who's like, I think he's telling the truth, they would go down and John would baptize them, which was just symbolic of going, we believe John's message and we're identifying with what he teaches. All right, so that's what had been going on. He created all kinds of buzz in Israel until one day, this day that we're talking about, Jesus shows up and he, as he walks into the crowd, John stops right in the middle of his sermon and he points right at Jesus and he says, there he is, everybody. I've been telling you he's coming. You know, there's the Lamb of God who's going to take away the sin of the world. There he is, the Messiah. And everybody turns, you know, looks at Jesus. And then Jesus does something that stuns John. Jesus walks up to John and says, I want you to baptize me. Which was 
John was like, no, 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 no. I'm not baptizing you. You ought to baptize me. I know who you are. And Jesus says, no, you, you need to baptize me, John, because to the Jewish people there, it was symbolic of Jesus saying, what John has said is true. I'm identifying with John's message. I am who he says I am. And so this extraordinary moment happens where they go down the water. John baptizes Jesus. He comes up, and there are all these witnesses, right? There are hundreds of people there that day. And it's recorded for us in more than one account that when Jesus comes up, and this sounds a little strange, but a bunch of people were there and said it happened. When Jesus comes up out of water, they hear a voice that they assume is from heaven, they assume is God, a voice from heaven that says, this is my son whom I love. With him, I'm pleased. It's like, oh my gosh, right? So no doubt, Jesus clearly is who he claimed he is. Everybody hear that, you know? It's like, so it was this remarkable moment, this extraordinary high, if you will. And we would all expect that coming out of that with all the momentum and all the buzz and everybody having heard that, that the next step should be for Jesus to really take off with his ministry, you know, and launch it because he's got a big crowd now and everybody's excited about what's about to happen. But that's actually not what happens because, and we've all experienced this, life tends to run on parallel tracks, doesn't it? You have the highest of highs at times and the lowest of lows, and they're at the very same time. You got good things happening in your life, and you got painful things happening in your life at the very same time. And that's what happens to Jesus. Matthew, one of his followers who, you know, talked to all of these witnesses who were there, Matthew tells us as soon as the baptism was over, here's what happened next. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, as you know, wilderness is a pretty lonely place. It's a pretty isolated place. And Matthew says it's the oddest of things, but Jesus just had this pinnacle moment, this extraordinary high where you know, God speaks and tells everybody, I'm so pleased with him, this is my son. And then immediately, in this case, God just sent Jesus right into the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil. Matthew goes on to tell us, that after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Thank you, Matthew. We could have figured that one out on our own. It's like, obviously. But the thing I don't want you to miss is, Jesus has just endured now a 40-day season of struggle, of challenge, of isolation. And it is after this season of struggle that the tempter shows up. And tries to tempt Jesus to trade what he wants most for what he wants now. And he ends up using three different forms of temptation to do it. And I bet all of us have faced these at some point in our lives ourselves. So here's the first one. Matthew says, the tempter came to Jesus and said, if you're the son of God, which I find so fascinating, that Satan would look at Jesus and try to get Jesus to doubt his identity, to try to prove his identity, to try to get him to question who he was. We've been there, though, haven't we? And you know you're more vulnerable to temptation if you were questioning who you are and whose you are. So the tempter says, well, if you're the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Well, that seems like an innocent enough temptation, right? It's like, what's wrong with that? He hadn't eaten in 40 days. He's got the power to do it. Just turn those stones into bread and eat some and you'll be good. But there's more to it than that. Because this is a temptation to meet a legitimate need in an illegitimate way. 
In Jesus' case, it was a temptation to meet a very legitimate need. You haven't eaten in 40 days. You're starving. In an illegitimate way. Jesus, why don't you just take your power and use it for your benefit and not the benefit of others? We've all been there, haven't we? How many times in your life, and some of you are probably here right now, where you have a very legitimate need, and you're praying and praying and praying maybe, and God's not answering, and you're thinking, this is such a good thing. Why would God not do this? Why would he not help? Or you've got this legitimate need, and you're looking and hoping that people will meet it, and nobody seems to be meeting it. And you find yourself tempted to meet that legitimate need in an illegitimate way. You just need relief from the pain. It's a legitimate need. But you can't seem to find it any other way, so you're tempted just to go home and to drink more than you should, more nights in a row than you should. It's a, meeting a legitimate need in an illegitimate way. Or you just need to feel cared for. It's legitimate. But you find yourself trying to find that care or that comfort in companionship that you shouldn't find. Or you just want to feel alive. Have you ever been in these seasons where the hits came so long and so hard, it's almost like you were numb? You just didn't feel alive. You just didn't feel anything. And you just want to feel something again. It's a legitimate need. But you try to find it through a thrill, an experience. It's illegitimate. This is what Jesus was dealing with. I got a legitimate need. And Satan's like, hey, why don't you just... Meet it in a way that maybe you shouldn't. But again, you, sh you shouldn't be hungry. God sent you out here for 40 days. You, sh you shouldn't have done that. You shouldn't be hungry. But here's how Jesus handled it. Matthew tells us, he looked back and he said, it is written. And then he quotes from his Jewish scriptures, which we call our Old Testament. And he says, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. I don't want you to miss this. When Jesus found himself tempted to trade what he won most for what he won now, to meet that legitimate need in an illegitimate way, what he did was not try to convince himself or talk himself into waiting. What he did is he just reached out and he grabbed hold of a promise God had made. And he said, I'm going to believe that the same God who sent me out here is going to provide everything I need. I'm going to believe that God will do for me what I need him to do for me. He will meet the need that I have when I need it met. So, Satan turns around, tries another approach. Matthew tells us, then the devil took Jesus to the holy city. So, we're talking about Jerusalem. And he had him stand on the highest point of the temple. So, he gets up there where they can see the entire city. And then Satan looks at him. And he says, if you are the son of God, he's going to question the identity again. If you're the son of God, he said, throw yourself down off this pinnacle of the temple. Just jump. Why would you do that? And then Satan, this is so clever. He's like, okay, well, Jesus, you, you had a verse. I'm going to quote a verse, okay? So he actually digs into Jewish scriptures and says, don't you remember in the Jewish scriptures it's written that God will command his angels concerning you, Jesus? And they'll lift you up in their hands so you won't strike your foot against a stone. In other words, he's going, hey, Jesus, you remember it says God's not going to let anyone or anything harm you until the time's right. You remember God promised that. So, Jesus, listen, everybody in Jerusalem can see us up here. How about we just prove to everybody who you are? Here's an easy way to do it. 
you jump. The angels will come catch you. Everybody will see. They'll all know you are who you claim to be. It'd be wonderful. This is the temptation to manipulate God and get him to do what you want him to do on your timetable. And we've all got stories of trying that, haven't we? It's a temptation to, you know, think, well, if I do A, B, and C, you know, God, look, have you not been paying attention? I've been trying this, and I've lived, and I've done, and da-da-da. You owe me, God. You owe me. I did all this. Or, God, I got this verse, and you made this promise. Well, what about the context of that? I don't want to talk about the context, but let's just talk about this verse, because it looks like it promises, so you ought to do. And if you don't, then you're not being trustworthy, you know? Or, God, I'm going to, and this is funny, but we've all done it. We, we threaten God as if he's going to get all upset about that and nervous. You know, it's like, God, if you don't do this, I'm walking away. If you don't do this, I'm going to stop. If you don't do this, I'm giving up. All of us in our own ways, we've found ourselves in these moments where God wasn't doing what we wanted him to do as fast as we want him to do it. So we tried our own approach to manipulate him, to force his hand, to presume on his plans, to get him to act on our timetable. That's all this temptation was for Jesus. But again, Matthew tells us, he looks back and Jesus says, it's also written. Satan, you got a verse, I got a verse. It's also written. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. This was Jesus' way of saying, Satan, I'm not about to try to force God's hand to manipulate him to do something. I'm not going to test him. I'm just going to trust him. I'm going to grab hold of this promise. I don't have to test him. I'm just going to trust him that when the time is right, he will do what he needs to do. And so, Satan tried one final temptation. Matthew tells us again, the devil took Jesus to a very high mountain and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. Let me pause right here because I don't want you to miss this. Why had Jesus shown up on earth to begin with? Well, he told us, he showed up to communicate and to demonstrate what God was like to all the kingdoms of the world. In other words, Jesus showed up to clear the confusion that everybody throughout the world had about who God was and what he was like. He showed up to regain and retain authority over all the kingdoms of the world. And he showed up, most importantly, to live a perfect life and then die a cruel death on a Roman cross so that he could bridge the gap and make it possible for every person in every kingdom of the world to have a relationship with God again. Through his life, his death, and his resurrection, Jesus said, okay, now I can make you a trade. I'll take all your sin and you can have my righteousness and everything will be made good between you and God one more time. So his whole point in coming was so all the kingdoms of the world, everybody could be invited and included and have a relationship with their heavenly father the same way. This was why he was there. And Jesus knew when he showed up what it was going to take. He knew it was going to take agony, suffering, and ultimately death on a Roman cross to do it. And now, here Satan is saying, I want you to look at all the kingdoms of the world. And Jesus, I got an offer for you. He says, all this I will give you if you just bow down and worship me. This is a temptation to take a shortcut. 
It's a temptation to fulfill the plan God has for you, but to do it your way because God isn't moving fast enough or you don't like the way he's going to do it. Can you imagine how tempting this must have been for Jesus to go, wait a minute, I could skip the cross, I could skip the pain, I could skip the tragedy, I just bend the knee real quick and then I've got all the kingdoms of the world. We've all found ourselves in these moments, haven't we, where God's not moving as fast as we want him to move. And we see a shortcut. This is what I want, and it's a good thing. But man, if I just took this shortcut, if I just violate my integrity just a little bit this one time, if I just bend my values just once, I can get what I want. It's just once. We've all been there. We all know what this feels like. To feel like this is a lot easier and a lot faster and a lot less painful, and I can still end up where I want to be, where God wants me to be. In life. So as Jesus is wrestling through that, he looks back and he says, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God, serve him only. I'm going to reach for a promise. I'm going to trust him still. I'm not going to go your route, even if it's an easier route. And then Matthew tells us this. He goes on and he says, Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. In other words, then God showed up and provided everything that he needed. Imagine what hung in the balance for you and for me. For all of us especially who follow Jesus and we believe, you know, that he was who he claimed to be. For all of us who've experienced grace. For all of you who are trying to figure it out. If you come to the point where you believe it actually is true. That you can experience unconditional love, grace and forgiveness and acceptance from your heavenly father. That Jesus offers that all to you? Imagine what hung in the balance. Imagine if Jesus had taken the easy way. Imagine if he had traded what he wanted most for what he wanted now. The impact it would have had on all of us. So, my question to you is just this. Where, where are you being tempted to trade what you want most? What you want most with your relationship with God, what you want most with your kids, what you want most with your parents, what you want most with your spouse, what you want most with your future spouse, what you want most with opportunities in the future. Where are you being tempted to trade what you want most for what you want right now? Because it's hard, it's painful, you're tired of waiting, you're tired of struggling, you're tired of dealing with it. Where are you being tempted? Where are you starting? to meet a legitimate need in an illegitimate way? Were you starting to presume on God's plans, try to manipulate him to do what you want him to do? Were you being tempted to take a shortcut to fulfill what you think is a good thing, what you think, oh yeah, that's part of God's plan for me, but you're trying to do it your way instead of his? Listen, I, I don't have to tell you this because we've all done this at some point in our lives, probably more than once. And so you know the trade is never worth it. You know it will always cost you more in the long run than you actually want to pay. And I don't know specifically what all it's going to cost you, but I, I do know this. From a big picture standpoint, you and I make that trade, it will cost you your future. It will cost me my future. Because every decision that I make today shows up tomorrow. All of life is connected, isn't it? 
So I can make a decision today and think it's going to be okay this one time. I don't realize that it's going to show up in the future. Every decision is writing another sentence, another paragraph, another chapter of my story. And you don't want to get into the future and find that you have written a story that you regret. That you've written a story that you don't want to tell. You've written a story that you're going to lie about because you just don't want to bring it up. You don't want people to know. And when they ask, you know, you just kind of skip over. You, you want to write a story you're proud to tell. And here's what's weird. I don't know if this is encouraging at all. But most of us have lived long enough to realize in these seasons where it's one difficulty after another and they feel like they go on forever. But if we could just step back and have perspective, you know, 10 years down the road when that season's passed and somebody asks you about it, this is what's so funny. It felt like we were never going to get out of it. It felt like the biggest thing in the world to us. And then 10 years down the road, somebody asks us and we sum it up in about two sentences, don't we? It's like, oh yeah, that was really hard and da, da, da. And here's what happened. You, you don't want to get 10 years down the road and have written a story that you want to avoid talking about. Your future's at stake. I'll tell you what else. Your family is at stake because in these seasons, while you feel isolated, you are not making decisions in isolation. Every decision has an impact on the people who are closest to you, the people who care about you the most. And your faith is at stake. In the sense that every time you choose to embrace a temptation, what you are also doing is choosing not to trust your heavenly father. That's it. And every time you make a choice not to trust your heavenly father, you diminish your ability to trust your heavenly father. You don't diminish his trustworthiness, but you diminish your ability to put your trust in him the next time. Now, what I love about this is you can flip that around. Because every opportunity, or every temptation rather, is also an opportunity to trust your Heavenly Father. And you may think of temptations as terrible things, but what if the temptation you're facing right now, you looked at it from a positive perspective and said, this gives me an extraordinary opportunity to trust God even when it doesn't make sense and to build a deeper trust in Him. And what will happen if you'll do that is you will be drawn closer to Him and you will come out with a stronger relationship with him because trust is the foundation. It's the glue for any healthy relationship. So, I don't know what you're going through specifically. But if you're finding yourself tempted to trade what you want most for what you want now, I just want to leave you with this question. Will you trust God's promises to you? Because this really is the choice. And Jesus gave us the path, the model, didn't he? Will you trust God's promises? Will you, in the middle of your temptation, hit pause and go, I know this is what I want now, but I'm going to believe what God says, and I'm going to believe he's going to be with me and walk with me through this, and I will come out on the other side, and he will do what I need him to do in due time. Will you trust his promise to you? Do not choose the immediate, even though it's very appealing over the ultimate. Don't let the strong emotional appeal that we all feel in the moment for what we want now blind you to what you want most. Just flip it. And even if you can't see because the emotions are you know, clouding your judgment, even if you can't see down the road, would you just trust that your heavenly father 
while he doesn't promise to deliver you from it, does promise to walk with you through it and to ultimately deliver you out of it. So will you trust him? Will you walk with him? Will you believe him? Let me pray for us. Father, I'll be the first to admit that this is a whole lot easier to talk about than it is to do when we're in the middle of these seasons where we struggle. Because when things are painful, when things are challenging, we start to lose hope. And we want relief. We want help. We want things to be fixed. We want our way. We want things to get back to where they're good again. And the shortcuts and the illegitimate ways to meet our needs and the temptation to uh, try to force your hand or twist your arm to do something is so strong. So for those who are in the middle of those seasons right now, would you give them the wisdom to see that? And would you give them the courage to grab hold, to reach out and embrace your promise and to trust you? And to do what anybody would do in the middle of this difficult season if, if they were confident that you were with them. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Hey, if you'd like more content like this, subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our Journey app to access all of our recent message content. And our app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend. For more information on our church or to find our app or our YouTube channel, just visit journeycalway.com. That's journeycalway.com. Thanks for listening.